Good morning. It's good to be with you all this morning. Let's pray as we turn our attention to God's Word together. Lord God, we thank you and we praise you for these songs of worship this morning, reminding us to walk in your truth. Lord God, we come now as we look at your Word and we ask for your Spirit to be at work among us, recognizing that no good will happen apart from your Spirit. And we ask for your spirit because we want to grow. We want to grow in our faith and our love for Jesus, our obedience to your word. We want to live in a way that honors you. And so we ask and pray that you would work in our hearts today to bring change. Even if it's slow, we ask for that with confidence in Jesus' name. Amen. Frank Worsley was the captain of a ship called the Endurance. Uh, There was an explorer named Ernest Shackleton who uh, wanted to be the first uh, man to cross the continent of Antarctica. So he put together a team uh, to do this, but the trip did not go uh, well. They didn't actually even reach their destination to begin with because their ship got frozen in ice. And they were stuck there, stranded there for 20 months, not days, months. And actually their journey went longer than 20 months, but they were stuck in the ice for 20 months. And they stayed on the ship itself in the ice for about five or six months, but the ice slowly crushed their wooden ship, strongest wooden ship ever built, Uh, One of the crew members wrote in his journal, he would be laying in his uh, bunk at night trying to sleep, and he would hear the wood creaking as the ice was crushing down on this ship, wondering, like, is this going to be the moment where the whole thing sort of comes down on me? Eventually, they left the ship, and they began to sleep in tents out on the ice, and that's how they existed for 20 months, and eventually the ice began to break up, and so they took what supplies and gear that they had left, and they put it into three uh, lifeboats, and they decided, okay, we've got to try to sail, uh, not sail, but, but row in these boats to land. Now, for those of you who know the story, Shackleton's leadership in getting the crew out is legendary, they, they survive, but he would not have been able to do it without Frank Worsley, who was not only the captain of the ship, but the navigator. Navigation was the key to all of this. When the ice began to break up and they set out in these boats, it was up to Worsley to find land. Now, they knew about this island called Elephant Island. It's like a speck. It's like a tiny rock in the middle of the ocean. They made it there. It took them about a week to get there. But when they got there, the conditions were so harsh They couldn't stay there. They were still facing starvation. So they decided to make a last-ditch effort. Six men got in one boat, and they decided to sail for another island that they knew called South Georgia. Imagine in your mind sailing from one tiny speck of rock in the ocean to another tiny speck of rock in the ocean 800 miles away through the roughest seas on the earth freezing cold temperatures, rain and sleet and snow. They're so cold that they can barely move their fingers. They're in this boat for 16 days. If they miss this island, South Georgia, 
That's it. It's game over. The next piece of land is 3,000 miles away. It's done. They make it with Worsley's navigation. They hit South Georgia. They finally get a boat back, and they rescue the rest of their crew members. I share this story with you because it helps us see that navigation, the ability to navigate your course, is absolutely crucial in life. And we're going to talk about that today from God's Word. We're continuing our series uh, here through the little books, and we're beginning uh, just the first sermon on 2 John today. And the message for us today is this, is to walk in truth and love. Walk in truth and love. We're going to set the context for a little bit, just briefly, and then we'll look at two points today. So first, uh, let's set the context for this short little letter. Verse 1, the elder to the elect lady and her children. John simply calls himself the elder. At this point, he's the last surviving uh, and oldest apostle. He doesn't need to flex his apostolic authority Uh, It's well established. He just says, the elder. And he writes to the elect lady and her children. I believe this is a way of referring to the church and its people. It's not a specific woman and her kids. It's the church and the people who are in this church. There are several reasons I think this. One, it would be very odd in verse 5 to ask a lady that she should love one another. But that makes perfect sense if he's speaking to a church. Second, the church is often compared to a bride in the Bible, and disciples are called children. It's not strange to find this type of language being used. Moreover, the Greek word kuria, translated lady here, could be used and was used to describe a a social subunit, a group of people. And lastly, he writes from another church that he calls sister in verse 13. It's a sister church. Now, Regardless of the audience, the message doesn't change. The reason he's writing these Christians is because he has a deep concern for them because, verse 7, many deceivers have gone out into the world. Therefore, he wants them to walk in the truth and in love. That's verses 1 through 6. And he wants them to watch themselves and win a full reward. That's verses 1 through 7. We're just going to focus in on the first part today, walking in truth and love. He uses this metaphor in our text today of walking, walking. Your walk is your way of life. It's the way that you live. It's your conduct. And so we might say things, we often do as Christians, we'll say, how's your walk with the Lord going? And what we mean is, are you living for the Lord? Or if we ask, are you walking in the truth? What we mean is, are you living according to God's word? Are you obeying God? So with that context, then let's look at this first point. John is going to begin with some encouragements for them. And we can summarize it like this. You do not walk alone. We see this in verses 1 through 3. First, there are other believers with you. He's writing to this church. He says, whom I love in truth, verse 2. John's genuinely concerned for these believers. He wants them uh, to see them walking in the truth and in love so that they go on and win a full reward. But he's not the only one who cares for them. He says, and not only I, but also all who know the truth. They love them too, verse 1. Why? Why do they love them? 
Verse 2, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. All those who know the truth and abide in the truth love one another. We as Christians, we're united in the truth. We have a shared bond with other believers because of the truth. Have you guys ever been on vacation and you meet another brother or sister in Christ? Or you're, maybe you just, you're out somewhere where you're not normally there and you meet a brother or sister in Christ? It's great. The conversation immediately warms. There's a shift in the conversation. When we meet other Christians who we know love Jesus and love his word, because we have this shared faith in Christ, we have these shared beliefs and values that are rooted in the Bible. We're, there's often overlap in our lifestyle because we're both striving to live the truth. The reality is, is that we're one in Christ, we're united as one in Christ, and we're under his rule as our Lord. What this reminds us is that it's not ultimately our interests, our hobbies, our educational choices, our politics that unite us as one as Christians. At least it shouldn't be. What unites us as Christians is that we know and abide in the truth, in Christ and his word. It's our love for Christ and his word that unites us. So yes, we should seek unity as, as Christians, but never at the price of truth. Now let's not miss the forest for the trees. John is writing to these, in these Christians because he wants to encourage their, their faith, because he loves them. And so do all who know and abide in the truth. John's saying, look, he makes a point to, to tell them, hey, all these Christians, they love and care about you as well. He wants them to know they're not alone. There is such strength and courage in knowing that we are in this walk of faith together with other believers. As kids, we went uh, whitewater rafting uh, in Wyoming down the Shoshone River with my family. Uh, that's my dad. That's my mom. That's my brother, and this huge guy right there in the back, that's me. With the, no, that's not me. That's the guide. That's the guide. I'm this little guy with the buggy whip arms right here. So we went down this, this river. It was a class two slash class three, so it wasn't like this was some kind of raging river, but there were places in this trip where the rapids were big enough to make it dangerous, a real adventure, and you know how you, you, you get there and the, guy, the, the people, they're always like, now, listen, every year people drown. And it's a tragedy, but that's like the first thing they tell you. And they're like, so we need you to sign this piece of paper that says if there's an accident, that's your problem. I mean, like, obviously it's my problem. But it's not an encouragement. This is not very encouraging. And then they give you a life jacket and some you know, minimal instructions like, okay, this part of the paddle goes down in the water. Then you get in the boat and you set off. And as you go, you quickly learn to rely on the other people in the boat with you, right? And especially the guide who's giving you directions. Okay, right side, now you guys got to paddle. No, left side, now you guys got to paddle. Now we all got to paddle together. And you start to encourage each other as you're going down the river, especially the older to the younger, right? As they're getting tired and going through all of this. And you definitely want to have a knowledgeable guide, someone who has done this before and who can navigate especially the roughest part of the river, right? To steer the best paths through the challenging bits. There's an obvious parallel here to our faith. We're on this adventure of living the Christian life together, and we're all on the same raft. 
It's good to have Christians to paddle with. It's good to have someone who has navigated the waters before you, like these river guides who have done it a hundred times. And they can help steer us in the right direction through rough patches in our life. Now, speaking personally, I've been thinking about it this week, and I so value and appreciate the love and support and care that I have felt from this body as a church. Brothers in Christ who can meet for mutual encouragement. I know that you pray for us as pastors. I got a note just this week and last week actually from someone who's been praying for me and it was so timely. It was just at the right moment. And so just so appreciate that. The point is, is that we don't walk alone. We need one another as we walk And so the question is, who are you meeting with for prayer and for encouragement? Who's mentoring you? Who's going to help you? Who can you look to to help you navigate the waters that you're in? Whatever kind of waters that is, who can help you? John is like their guide. He's like the main guy. And the fellow Christians are like the people in the boat with them. I want you to look around the room right now. Look around at one another. This is your boat. <laughs> this is your raft. These are the people who you know the, the most, the, the close brothers and sisters around you. We're in this raft together. Now, as I call you to, to look to help one another in the faith, yes, look to your Christian friends, but I don't want you to overlook your family, your spouse, your parents, your siblings. You see, your marriage is meant to be a, a source of encouragement for you. Young people and kids, your parents were given to you by God to be a source of mentorship and discipleship. Look to them for guidance. And don't forget about your siblings. God has put these people in your life to help you walk in the truth. So look around to those around you for encouragement to walk in the truth and look to encourage those around you so that they'll walk in the truth. Point each other to God's grace and mercy and peace. And that's our second encouragement here. John points them to the fact that God is with them. He gives them a powerful blessing in verse 3. He says, Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. It's a powerful blessing. This isn't like a, a, a wish prayer like, like Paul often does. John says, Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. He's absolutely certain of it. He wants to anchor them in these truths. The grace of God is his undeserved, unearned favor. It's his goodness that he freely just pours out on us. His mercy is his tender compassion so that he forgives us for our sins and doesn't treat us like our sins deserve. Have you ever stopped to wonder what would happen if God did treat you like your sins deserve? Praise God for his mercy. His peace is the the wholeness and the well-being that comes from God. So John anchors them in this truth, specifically this promise of God's presence and power to help them. You don't walk alone. God and his people are with you. Now this takes us into point two. Walk in truth and love. This is John's first main point of the letter. We see this in verses 4 through 6. Look at verse 4. John says, I rejoiced greatly, or more accurately, exceedingly, to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. 
He rejoices because they're living in obedience to God. Joy is the result of our obedience to God. That's John 15, verses 10 and 11. But here we see that joy is also the result of a fruitful life and ministry. And notice that walking in the truth is commanded by God the Father. John says, I rejoice that you're walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. Now that makes sense. The fathers expect their children to obey them. Our Heavenly Father is exactly the same way. He expects His children to walk in the truth, to live according to His Word. Living God's way is not optional for us. I love that what this implies here, when He rejoices that they're walking in the truth, is that John can see it. He can see it in the way that they're they're speaking, the way that they're acting. He can see it in their conduct. There's a direct connection between our belief and our behavior. What you believe shapes how you behave. Well, then he makes this request in verse 5. He says, Now I ask you, dear lady, that we love one another. And he makes a side comment in between that this isn't a new command. It's the command that we've had from the beginning. But the core of the request is that the church would love one another. And then he explains what he means by love in verse 6. He says, And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. I think this might be one of the most important truths of Scripture for the church today. Why? Because our culture has no idea what it means to love. And even Christians are often confused about what it means to love. John defines love like this, that we walk according to God's commandments. That is, that we walk in the truth. And the plural commandments is important here because it shows us he's not just talking about a single command, he's talking about all of God's commands. Love is defined by the truth. This is a much needed corrective in our day. Truth, God's truth provides a framework for what genuine love is. Walking in love means walking in the truth. This means that if your love is not based in the truth, then you're not really showing love. And on the flip side, if how you live is not wrapped in biblically defined love, then you're not really walking in the truth. You see, both truth and love are essential. Neither of them are optional. Both of them go together. They cannot be separated from each other. And John defines love by walking in the truth. What does it mean to walk in the truth? Simply to obey God. His word is truth, John 17, 17. It means doing what God says is right, not what we think is right. God defines what is right and wrong, what is good and evil. Walking in the truth is doing what God commands. How do we walk in the truth? Well, you've got to know the truth if you're going to walk in it. The Bible is our standard. It's our rule of faith. So what that means is, when your thoughts and your words and your actions line up with the truth of God's word, you're walking in the truth. When your desires and your plans and your goals line up with what God says, then you're walking in the truth. Psalm 119.105 says this, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God has given us the truth to guide us through life. 
I want to try to illustrate this today, if I can. Can I get a volunteer to help me? You want to help me? Okay, come on up. I, that's great. Let's imagine for a minute that, that life is like a, a maze, okay? Life is a maze that we need to navigate, and there are many different paths, many different uh, dead-end roads and, and pitfalls that, that we might go through or we might run into in this life. And walking in the truth is finding the right path through the maze. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to use that arrow and just trace a path through the maze to the end. There's only one caveat. I'm only going to let you see what's inside this circle. Are you with me? I'll move the paper around as you need. I just want you to focus on getting through the maze. So start up here and let's give it a shot. No, no, you just look right here through the circle. Oh, oh hold on. I'm going to have to hold this too. Okay, go ahead. I'm with you. All right, here we go. Going this way. Going this way. Yeah, keep going. You're good. Rock it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, nope. Dead end. All right. Let's try it again. All right. Oops, sorry. Here. There you go. Ready, go. Going this way. Good. Yeah. Oh, dead end. All right. You try it one more time. Go ahead. You're good. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Good. Keep going. Oh, Ooh, this is a good one. All right, hold on. Let me stop you right there. A moment ago, I said that, I, said, I quoted Psalm 119, 105, right? God's word is a, a light to our path, right? And a lamp to our feet. I'm going to give you a flashlight. I want you to use this to help you. We'll start again. I'll move this. Shine it on and see if you can find your way. See if you can find your way through the, through the maze. You're doing great. Excellent. Excellent. Great. Okay, stop for just a second. Can I have the light back? Yes. <laughs> no, no, you can keep the light. It's okay. All right, let's see if you can finish it. You can do it. You're rocking it. You're killing it. Yeah. Look at it. No problem. Oh, yeah. Well done. I can take this away. Well done. Good job. Give him a round of applause. All right, which was easier, the first way or the second way when you had the light? Second way. Did you get stuck at all when you were using the light to guide you? No. You can go sit down. Let's talk about this a little bit. Imagine that you had a special light to help you navigate through the path of life. Uh, you do. It's God's perfect word. Did you notice that once he turned on the light, he didn't shut it off? He didn't like get to here and then shut off the light and be like, all right, that's good. Now I'm going to try to finish it on my own. No, he kept that thing on. And when I got to here and I was like, hey, can I have the light? He didn't want to give it to me, which is good because God's word is precious. And once you have the truth, you don't want to give it up and you shouldn't give it up. Now, how do we navigate the path of life? Well, there's trial and error. That's the first way that he did the maze. We can try to figure things out on our own, but God's word says, do not lean on your own understanding. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. 
In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make your paths straight. And we might see a path that seems promising, that looks right to us, but the only way to know if it actually is right is to use the light of God's word. We also need to remember that we're not alone. We can benefit from our brothers and sisters in Christ helping us to see and direct us in the path of life. But as useful as they are, they're not perfect. And so we always have to take what they say and compare it to scripture to see if it's true, but we're not alone. God's word is this light to our path, right? Now, you can think of having this light. It's great to have this flashlight, but how much good is this going to do me if I don't turn it on? Not much. The same is true with having God's word. We have God's word. It's great. But if we don't make use of it, it's not much good to us unless we actually read it and know it and hide it in our heart. But more than that, more than that, we also have to choose to follow it, right? Imagine if he came and I'm showing him where the path is, right? And we get here and he can see the path goes this way, but he chooses to go this way anyway. How much good is it if he can see the path, but he chooses to go his own way? It's the same with us when we read and know and study God's word, but we choose to live our own way anyway. And the world is full of people who know that smoking cigarettes is bad for you and will kill you, and yet they continue to go on smoking every day. See, knowing the truth is not enough. We have to live the truth. It's why we have this metaphor of of walking, of actually putting the truth into practice. Now, if we said that that turning the light on is like studying the Bible, then, then actually uh, following what God's word says would be like walking down the path. Every fork in the road, every time you have a decision in life, you get to a place where you have a choice to make. I can go this way or I can go this way. Am I going to follow God's way or am I going to go my own way? Every single time, there's all these forks in the road, these places where we have to make decisions. Will God's word be what what makes that choice for us. So what kind of person should I marry? Well, what does God's word say? Who makes the best kind of friend? What does God's word say? How should I handle money, spending and saving and giving? Well, what does God's word say? What should I think about what's going on in the culture or entertainment choices or what makes a good employee? In all of these things, go to God's Word. God's Word is sufficient to guide you in all matters of faith and life. When we read the Word, we're asking God, show me. Show me what to believe. Show me what to do. Show me the path that I should take. Now, we know this. This is obvious. But so often as we go through life, even as Christians, we don't ask that question. We lean on our own understanding. Now, there might not be a specific Bible verse for you, but if you know the truth... God will guide you if you know the truth and apply those principles to your situation. And we'll look at some examples of that in just a moment. Now, when we do a maze, you saw what Josh did. The first thing he did was step back and try to get a picture of the whole thing. That's how we do mazes. But that's not how life works. That's not how life works at all. You know, you, you ever done one of those corn mazes in the fall? Those things are so fun. Maybe a little scary, You get in there, they give you a map, right? Like, okay, 
You still can't figure out where you are because you can't see very far ahead of you. That was the point of this. In reality, we can't see the full picture. Our view is very limited. God is the only one that has the full picture, who can see the beginning and the end and everything in between. Beloved, this is a very good reason for you to trust Him to lead you and guide you through your life. God has this light that He's given to us, and He hasn't kept it a secret. He's given us a book to show us, but just like this invisible ink, you can't see it on your own. You need, you must have the light of God's Word to guide you. Now, this is a very simple maze, right? This is more accurate to what life is like. Whoa, it's crazy complicated. It's crazy hard. We cannot navigate through life on our own. We need God's Word with us. We need his special light. It's like if we, if we shut off the light, then we can't see anymore. Now, when you look at this, when you look at this, there is only one way through this maze. One and only one. It's the same with us. There's only one way to navigate life. Now, we live in a world where they want to say that there are multiple truths, that, that your truth is yours and I have my truth, and what's right for you might not necessarily be right for me, but that isn't true. There's only one standard, one objective moral truth. John doesn't say, hey, I rejoice to find you walking in your personal truth. He says, I rejoice that you are walking in the truth. The world wants to tell you you can have it your way. If they were going to draw a maze, it would just be a bunch of straight lines going down with a bunch of places you can enter, all going down to the end, all going to the same place, all of them just as good, just as valid. But that's not true. Not all paths are equally good. They don't all lead to the same place. You can't... You, they say, just pick however you want to live, it's fine. But that's not how it is in reality. They're not all equally good. The truth is that there's just one way, one truth, one life, and his name is Jesus Christ. He's the only way to heaven. He's the only source of truth. He's the only source of real life, both now and forever. I talked with several people this week who were struggling to read God's Word consistently. I share that because it's a very common struggle for us as Christians. There are lots of reasons why that could be. It could be lack of discipline. It could be a really busy schedule. And I know for a fact that Satan does absolutely everything he can to keep you from reading God's Word because he doesn't want you walking in the truth because it's for your joy and good and for God's glory, and he hates that. He'll do everything he can to keep you from that. So this is a very common struggle. We talk about reading the Bible all the time, but in reality, on the ground, 
Many Christians struggle to do this consistently. Now, regardless of the reasons why, the result is always the same. If you don't consistently read God's Word, you will go astray into sin. Sure, it may take time, it may happen slowly, but that is the result nonetheless. So we need to remember to read our Bibles consistently and remember that the aim in this is to know Christ, to develop our relationship with Him. And we're saved by faith alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's what gets us to heaven. But afterwards, Jesus calls us to listen to his voice and to walk in his commands. And the glory of it is, is that Jesus doesn't save you and then say, good luck, you're on your own. No, he promises to be with us every step of the way. So we have to walk in truth and love, and in the end we'll win a full reward. We'll look more at that next week. What does it mean to to walk in truth and love in our thought life? Do your thoughts match the truth? You know, many people believe the lie that their worth is based on their success or their achievements, whether it's in sports or school or family or work. They think, if I do well, then I have value, I have meaning, I have worth. But that's not the truth. The truth is is that you have value and worth because you are made in God's image not because of your achievements. And there are so many different lies that people believe. We're constantly being bombarded by the lies of the devil. He's the great deceiver. So what lies might you be believing? You've got to know the truth. And here our brothers and sisters are super helpful for us because they can come alongside us and help point out places where we're believing a lie, we're not believing the truth. But then... You not only need to know the lie, you need to know the truth and you need to have the truth to meditate on to counteract that. This is why we're told in the Bible to take every thought captive to obey Christ. 1 Corinthians 10.5 So what lie are you believing? What truth do you need to meditate on so that you can bring your thoughts into line with God's word? Then there's also our words. Do our words match the truth? I was at a conference in January, and on one of the breaks in between the sessions, I saw a father uh, berating his daughter. He was upset with her because she brought a drink into the sanctuary uh, without a lid on it, and it was really full, and he was afraid that that it was going to spill and cause a stain. And uh, I could hear what he was saying to her, And even though his voice was controlled, he was super angry with her. You could see it in his body language, his tone of voice, and he was just laying into her. And I watched this, I watched this young girl, I watched her shoulders slump, I watched her eyes go down and look at the floor. And I I was just about to go and address this brother when they walked away and they, they left, I wish that I had. All I could think of was, I've been guilty of that far too many times in my own home. And so I just prayed for him. And I prayed for myself that God would change both of us. He would change us. 
You see, even if he was right, the way he addressed it was wrong. He was not walking in the truth. James 1, 19 and 20 says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Man's anger does not make disciples. You cannot make someone grow in the truth by being angry with them. So how are you using your words? Are they gentle? Are they respectful? Are they filled with grace as you speak the truth? The Bible says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what's helpful for building others up, that it might benefit those who listen. Ephesians 4.29, are you building others up with your words? Do you give the right word at the right time in the right way? That's what it means to walk the truth and how you use your words. So how are you talking with your wife? How do you talk to your husband? How do you talk to your kids? And this is to say nothing of gossip and slander and interruption and sarcasm and coarse joking. God's word has a lot to say about how we use our words. So we have to walk in the truth in our thoughts and in our words and in our actions. We could list so many examples. These are just samples of what it looks like to walk in the truth in our life. If John the Apostle followed you around through the day, would he rejoice to find you walking in the truth, walking in love? You see, part of walking in the truth is living this way not only when someone is watching, but when no one is watching. Walking in the truth means walking with integrity, being the same person at church and at home and at work and with your friends. You're not walking in the truth if you're living a double life. If you are living one way at church and one way at home, you're not walking in the truth. And who you are at home and who you are in private is who you really are. If we have a secret sin, we're not walking in the truth. Bring that to the light, confess that, and then begin walking in faith with Christ once again. And we need training to walk in the truth. This does not happen by accident, and it does not happen immediately. This, hap- this, this is a reminder for us that we need to be continually training our children in, in the Word, in, in the truth. It's also a reminder, hear this, trust in the slow work of God. Let's say you want to grow in walking in in patience. That's the truth that you want to grow in walking in. That's not going to change overnight. It's called a walk. And when you go for a walk, you go step by step. You don't go out your door and immediately in one step go all through your neighborhood. You make progress over time. And you're not going to be perfect. And it reminds us that if I'm not going to be perfect, we shouldn't expect our spouse or our kids or our brothers and sisters in Christ to be perfect either. We're going to stumble as we walk. We're going to make mistakes. I know this is obvious, but it's amazing how often we act like our kids or our spouse should be perfect. And they're just not. And neither are we. So we need to be ready to extend grace and forgiveness to them and encourage them to walk in the truth, to start again, and to point them back to God. And it highlights our need for prayer because we can't do this in our own strength. Without the ability to navigate, the crew of the endurance would have perished. 
their survival depended on being able to find and follow the right course. And so it is with us. We must find and follow the truth, Christ and his word. We're going to see why walking in truth is so important next week, but I want to end with two encouragements to walk in truth and love. The first is the path. This is the path to joy. Other paths that you come across in life might look appealing, but walking God's way is the best It is good and beautiful and best. It's not just right, it's best. It leads to your greatest joy. The second is, and more importantly, we have the hope and promise that God's going to enable us by the Holy Spirit to walk in the truth. Jesus said, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. The Spirit takes what God has revealed in his word and he applies it to our life. He never tells you something that contradicts God's word. The Spirit acts like a spotlight He shines the light on Christ and his word. The Spirit's not about bringing attention to himself, but bringing attention to Christ and his word. That's how the Spirit functions. But the Spirit doesn't just point to Christ and his word. He gives you the power to live Christ's word. So God promised, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Praise God that his power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you and we praise you today for your word because it's the truth. We thank you for your grace and your mercy and your peace that you pour out upon us. We thank you for our brothers and sisters in Christ who encourage us in the faith. And we just ask this morning, very simply, Lord, that you would help us to walk in the truth. Give us the wisdom and direction where we need it. Give us strength and courage to obey you even when it's hard. And we thank you for the spirit of truth who guides us into the truth and enables us to walk in it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.